We're going to listen. I want to talk to you this morning about prayer specifically. Um, and I want to I want to talk about uh, prayer that shapes the world because prayer does shape the world. And I want to talk specifically about that. If you want to, you can turn in your Bibles to uh, James, James chapter five. I'm going to read verse 13 through 18 and we'll uh, we'll work through this thing together. Let's read it and, uh, and then we'll pray. James 5.13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven." Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Notice this verse specifically, this portion here. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails or accomplishes much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's pray together real quickly. Father, we thank you for your goodness. And, and God, I pray that our hearts would be open. Right now, I just believe, Lord, that you want to do so many things in our lives and in our community and just throughout the world altogether. And Lord, you teach us in your scripture that prayer is what shapes the world. Prayer changes the world. There is real power when your people pray. And Lord, we are in desperate need of, of a spirit of prayer to be poured out upon us. Because, Lord, if we don't pray, I, I don't believe that things are going to change. I don't believe that we're going to see what you want to happen done as effectively as if we don't learn how to pray as the church. So I pray, God, that you would open our hearts to receive this. And I pray, God, that this wouldn't just be a message that we hear, but, Lord, it'd be a seed that's planted in our hearts that changes our daily routines and changes our habits so that we would learn to not only pray, but, God, pray in faith and see lives transformed in our communities, our families transformed. And we ask it, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, uh, I was reading that, those same, that same passage of Scripture. I like it in the Passion Translation, just there, right, right there in verse 16 at the end. It says, For tremendous power is released through the passionate, heartfelt prayer of a godly believer. Tremendous power is released through prayer. And a lot of times I think sometimes we don't realize the fullness of the power that is in our prayer. I don't know about you, though, but for, for me, prayer, is, is, it's been kind of a, a difficult thing at times. Uh, when, I first, when I first became a Christian, I prayed a whole lot. Like I, I, felt, I, I had this feeling, this sense that, man, if I pray, if I seek God, I read in Matthew chapter 6 that if I prayed in secret, the Lord would re reward me openly. I read that if I fasted in secret and kept it between me and God, that he would reward me openly. And that was enough to move me to some pretty radical prayer. Like I, I started praying. I started fasting. I started spending sometimes hours a day just praying and seeking the Lord and spending time with the Lord. And the more I noticed that, I noticed that there was a direct correlation in my life to really the presence and the release of the power of God in my life and prayer. I noticed that when I was praying, it just seems like there were more coincidences that happened. Anybody amen me this morning? I had a lot more coincidences. It seemed like I'd go places. I'd have encounters with people. When I would pray, things would happen. Different things were happening in my life, but it was a direct correlation of my prayer life. And I've noticed, if you're like me, sometimes I've, I'm praying pretty good, like I'm doing really well in prayer, and then sometimes it kind of flows down, and I'm not praying so much, and my prayer life is getting a little bit weak, and I notice a significant difference in the presence of God in my life, and not only that, but how effectively God can use me and flow through me. I believe prayer makes us a conduit of God's power. I believe prayer makes us a conduit of God's presence. And he says here in scripture that there is tremendous power that is released through the fervent heartfelt prayer of a godly believer, a person that is in right standing with God the Father. I need you to understand this though too because what you need to know about prayer is that you can, you can grow in prayer obviously, but you have the same standing with God in Christ that everybody else has. You don't have to come to Clay and say, well, you know, Clay's a godly man. He's a pastor. Let's have him pray about it. You have the same standing with God that I have through faith in Jesus Christ. 
He's clothed you in his righteousness. And when you come before God in Christ's name, your prayer is the same as mine. It has the same weight because we're coming through Christ. We're coming in his name. But see, the, the, the issue is, is that we've got to learn to come and we've got to learn to pray. Uh, I can remember I remember when I first got saved. My dad can remember this. I was I was living with him at the time uh, or I, I moved home. I got saved and then I decided I needed to move home. I was living in Lexington at the time. And, and I, when I first got saved, I spent about a year dealing with a lot of different crazy stuff and uh, trying to get rid of some addictions. And I started to pray. I started to fast and I would spend hours outside walking around in prayer during that time, during that season in my life. And it led me into just a radical encounter with the presence of God. And because of that, it was like it's like at that point, it catapulted me into this other area of saying, OK, when when I pray, things are starting to happen. So 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 when you when you actually see God start doing miracles, it'll actually drive you almost a little bit crazy in the head. Somebody amen me this morning. It will. You'll start doing crazy stuff. You'll say, you know what? I'm not going to eat for seven days. And I did that. And because I believed that if I was radical about my pursuit of God, that God would respond radically. I believed that with all of my heart. And I began to experience it in my life. And I can remember when I, when I moved home, I was working at my dad's office in the child support office. And I've told you a few stories about that. I told you about how Barb's uh, rotator cuff got healed there. But there were a lot of things that happened there. But I can tell you, during that time in my life, I did very little. Like, I was not a social person. I'm not a social person to begin with. I like to stay alone somewhere in a closet. So when Jesus said, go and get in your closet, I was like, praise God, amen. Somebody finally commanded me to get in the closet. I've been wanting to be in the closet anyway. I'm not trying to be around anybody. But I would legitimately, I would legitimately go to this, this back room where there was a closet every day when I got off work. And I'd go into that closet. I'd turn the lights out. It'd be pitch black dark. And I would pray in there sometimes two, three hours. I wake up the following morning. I'd get up 5 a.m. and I'd pray a couple of hours before I went into work. And I was fasting about two days a week during that time. And I was believing God to do radical things. And I can remember specifically, I'll just tell you one, one story. But there was a guy that came in. And he said, I got laid off work. I blew two discs in my back and he was barely just hobbling, hobbling in there. And, uh, and I was, you know, I was probably like 20, 22 years old at the time, I guess. It was like 10 years ago. And uh, so I was a young guy and I didn't know what in the world I was doing. I was probably, I probably about destroyed the office down there. I didn't, I wasn't doing any good paperwork or anything. I, people weren't paying child support. It was a bad season for, for the county attorney's office. But, but, but God was moving in the office. Amen. All right. So, uh, so, so, so this, this guy came in and he was telling me, he's saying, I just got laid off work. My pay's decreased. I need to get, I need to get my child support payment changed because I just can't afford where it's at. And he came in there and he sat down and I looked at him and I said, can I pray for you? And he just looked at me like I was the weirdest guy in the world. And, and, and I said, he, he said, what do, you, what do you mean? And I said, well, can I pray for you? I'd like to put my hand on your back and I'd like to pray for you. And uh, he said, well, all right. And, uh, and, and so I put my hand on his back and I prayed for him. And he just sort of sat there like this with his eyes open. Like, he'd, like never, nobody ever prayed for him in his life. And I prayed for his back. And, and no, nothing happened at that particular time. But I said, I said, look, well, I'll get started on this paperwork or whatever. And, and, and you can come back in a week or call me or I'll call you and we'll, we'll get this thing figured out. I can't remember exactly how it happened. But about a, about a few days later, this guy calls me and he says, hey, boy, you remember me? I said, well, who are you? He said, I'm the guy you prayed for there the other day. I said, yeah, what's up? He said, you ain't going to believe this. I said, well, I might. I mean, I don't know. I just, uh... He said, you ain't going to believe this. He said, I don't know what you did. I don't know what happened. He said, but man, I got out of there and it took me about a day or two to realize that I didn't have no pain in my back no more. I went back to work and I got my money back. He said, so don't even worry about changing the payments. I make the payments. And the Lord did that. Amen. So God, God is still working. God is still moving. But I, I really believe this about prayer. I really believe that our private prayer is what releases energy and power in our own life, sort of like a reservoir or a deposit, so that our public prayer becomes more effective. Amen. Because a lot of times my public prayer is, a, is in direct correlation to what is going on in my private prayer life. It's kind of like I'm, 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 I'm charging my batteries in private so that the power can flow in public. 
Amen. And Jesus taught that same thing. He demonstrated that same type of a lifestyle. But it's important that we understand that correlation, that there's tremendous power that is released. Now, I'm going to make a couple of points here. I'm going to make about five. The first point, if you got your notes, we I want you to put this one down. But you're, some of you, you probably won't like it. You'll say, if the heresy police are here this morning, they'll probably jump on me. But the first one is God needs prayer. Uh-oh. I know that's a radical statement, I, but I, wanna, I want to clarify it for you so that it makes more sense. God himself, does, we don't need to pray for God. God doesn't need, to do, need you to do anything. He is sovereign over all creation. He is all powerful. Ultimately, he is in control of all things, but how he controls all things is a different story. And God has made this world in such a way that you are made in his image, and he has given us a certain dimension of authority and power with in this earth so that we partner with him so that his will is done on earth through us whom he has created in his image. In other words, he's designed the world in such a way that certain things that he wants to happen will not happen unless his people pray. Somebody amen me on that this morning. Unless God has designed the world in such a way that it is necessary for prayer to happen in order for God's will to be done. See, we live in a world and there's even a type of a theology that says, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter if we pray. Whoever God's going to save is going to get saved anyway. It doesn't really matter what we do because what God wants to happen is going to happen anyway. I disagree with that statement based upon Scripture. Based upon Scripture, Jesus taught that we are to pray for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And to the degree that we see heaven beginning to invade the earth and God beginning to move and His power being released in the earth, we are seeing His will done. But He is saying it's necessary that the people of God pray, otherwise they're not coming into agreement with me. He has given you a certain degree of say-so in this world. And what happens in our community, what happens in our family, what happens in our lives and in our region is going to be, once again, in direct correlation to whether or not we come into agreement with Him and pray. If you look throughout human history and, and, and the movements of the church and every transforming revival that has ever happened throughout history, the first and second great awakening, George, uh, John Wesley, George Whitfield, the Brownsville revival, different places where, where God just came in and people were saved in the droves. And everybody that looked at it said, this has transformed culture. Thousands of people have been saved. God moved in a unique way. Every single time that that happened, it happened as a a direct result of somebody praying and seeking God in a radical way. It never just happens because we're sitting here just wreck, going through the motions, having church, just doing the regular run-of-the-mill things, and then all of a sudden out of nowhere, God swoops in and just does something. It never happens that way. You cannot show me a time where God just sovereignly moves, really, without first the people of God praying and asking God to move in those situations. In other words, God needs prayer, but not in the sense that we need prayer. We need prayer to be connected to the source of all life. We need prayer to be delivered. We need prayer to be saved. We need prayer to experience God in different ways. We don't need to pray for God, and God ultimately needs nothing because He's God. But He has designed the world in such a way that in order for His will to be done on this earth, it is done through His praying people. Does that make sense? So in other words, prayer is a necessary thing that we have to come into agreement with. But here's the thing. Prayer is kind of a cultural thing. And in our world today, we're very pragmatic people. That means that, like, for example, if I go to the gym and I start a workout program, you know, I'm wanting to see my muscles get bigger. I'm wanting to lose some fat. I want to see a direct, a direct result. And what happens with people in prayer is they start to pray and they don't always immediately see a direct result. And therefore, because they don't see the direct result, they lay it off and say, well, this, this isn't really working. I don't see anything happening. And therefore, we lay off prayer. But see, you have to understand the second point in my notes here, in your notes, is prayer is an act of faith. One, you have to have faith believing that it is going to work just to start into prayer. But not only that, you have to have faith just to affirm the results of prayer. I have legitimately seen, I prayed for a person one time that they had two vertebrae that were, that were fused together and they asked for prayer and we prayed for them and when they went back to the doctor, they were not fused and they took it as a coincidence. My point being is that oftentimes we can pray. The other day, the other day we were, we were selling a van and a guy came from Jackson, Kentucky 
And he came over and we were selling this van to him one morning. Me and Sheb were out there talking with him and and he, and he said, he said, buddy, I just, I, I just got a, a call. They told me a, a young man is about 20 years old that he worked with had been hit by a truck that morning. And they, he said, man, they're, he's in bad shape. They don't think he's going to make it. He's, he's, he's unresponsive. I said, let's stop and pray for him. So we stopped, we grabbed hands, we agreed, because that's what Scripture says, two or three agree concerning anything. It will be done by my Father which is in heaven. And I prayed, and we prayed together. We believed God that he would move in that situation. And, the, and they called back. So the guy left, and he sent me a message back later. He said, you're not going to believe this. That boy, he's, he's, he's doing better. He came, he came back. He's responsive. He's doing well. But see, you know how easy it is to say, well, he probably wasn't even really that hurt in the first place. He was going to recover regardless if we had prayed or not. Don't we do that? And it, even when miracles happen, we somehow just play it off as if, no, that really wasn't prayer that did that. And I'm telling you, folks, prayer is what does the stuff, okay? In Jesus' day, when things happened, it was because he was praying and he was seeking God and he was allowing the kingdom of God through his prayer to invade our natural realm. And that's why some things cannot be explained. We don't understand everything that's going on, but prayer is that act of faith where we begin to see God moving through our prayers and changing things. And, and, and we have to partner with God to see this world change. And prayer aligns us with God's will so that now his will can be done through us on earth. And God's will trumps the devil's will. The way I see it, the way I see it is this. On the earth, you, you, see, you, in, you have a middle. We're in the middle in the battleground. And the forces of hell, so to speak, are trying to influence humanity. And the forces of heaven are trying to influence humanity. But humanity has free will. And you can choose who you will align yourself with. You can align yourself with this world and with the forces of darkness. And when you do, they will use you to generate their will to come to pass in the earth. But when you align yourself with God and his will, with his word, and you are praying his word, all of a sudden you tap into a greater power and his will begins to be done on this earth. And if you look at this earth right now, what do you see? You see a mixture of the will of hell being done on earth and you see a mixture of the will of heaven being done on earth. And the more God's people choose to pray, it trumps the devil's will. And when we pray as Jesus taught us to pray on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, we begin to see the forces of hell and darkness push back and heaven breaking in and transformation taking place. But see, the devil is after our faith, folks. He does not want us to believe. He does not want us to believe that things can be transformed, that people can be healed, that God can really bring about a dramatic change. He wants as, as so much to keep you from believing him from greater things. Because as soon as you start to believe him for greater things, you know what you will do. You will be driven to prayer. Your faith will arise and you will be driven to prayer and you'll come to a place where you start to cry out to God. If you look at scripture, for example, 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. There are more if-then statements associated with prayer than any other single human activity in the Bible. This scripture here, it says, If, notice, my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, it's conditional, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. It's a conditional statement. He's saying, if my people choose to pray, there'll be healing in the land. It, it actually is, is saying, if, if there's not any prayer that there will not be healing of the land. That's literally what he's, what he's trying to talk, say here. Now look at in, in Samuel, at this verse here in Samuel, what he says. Samuel makes this statement. He says, moreover, as, as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Do you realize a lot of times when we think about sin in southeastern Kentucky, we think about sin being sexual immorality and getting drunk and getting high. And those are pretty much the three main ones. But, but, uh, but, but, the, but the truth is here he's listing the fact that when we know to pray for people and we choose not to, we're actually going against God's design for his people. He says, I'm, I'm actually in sin because I'm not interceding on behalf of the world that God loves and has created and wants to see saved. And when you see the world going to hell all around you and all of these difficulties and circumstances happening and people not being saved and giving their heart to the Lord and it does not stir any prayer in you, you are living in one aspect of sin according to Scripture. I don't know, nobody wants to hear that this morning. Praise God, Clay. I come in here and try to feel good this morning. You tell me I ain't praying enough. And here's the thing, we don't, we don't want to live in shame or condemnation. 
And we don't want to be beat up because I, I tell you, I, like I said, I'm just like you. I go through seasons where I don't pray as much as I should. And probably everybody in this building, if you ask them, they'd say, I don't pray as much as I should. And I would imagine if you prayed six hours a day, you would probably get to the point where you said, I don't pray as much as I, as much as I should. Throughout history, you see men, you know, the, if you look at the Azusa Street Revival and different things like that, you had guys like Willie Seymour that they started out praying an hour a day. They went to two hours a day until finally they were praying eight hours a day. And everybody thinks they are mentally insane for doing such a thing. But then all of a sudden God shows up and God begins to save people and God begins to do miracles and things begin to change in people's lives. Why? Because people are choosing and deciding to begin to pray and they're believing God. And that's where we have to move to in our lives. Now, number three in your notes, prayer activates and releases God's will on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I'm making some pretty bold statements. And based, based on what you have believed theologically in your past, because, because there is, there is a, like a, a theological stance that just says no matter what, God is ultimately going to do what he's going to do and it doesn't matter what we do regardless. And I'll say that in some aspects that that is true. But you know, scripture teaches this, for example. Like in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul is saying, look, I, I want everybody to be, to, to, to be in prayer for supplications and intercessions to be made for all people, for those who are in political authority. And, and, he, says, and he says, for all men everywhere, he said, I want you to be in prayer so that we could leave a quiet we could live a quiet and a peaceable life. And then he says this, for God desires all to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So he's actually correlating the fact that God wants all people to be saved to our prayer. Do you know that more people can actually be saved in our region and around us in our lives because we choose to pray for them? That's, that's just facts. You say, well, now God's going to save who he wants to regardless if we pray or not. No, God has given us, the church, a partnership role. And Paul even said, y'all need to be in prayer that when I speak, there's an open door of utterance that it'll penetrate their hearts, that the blindness that Satan has placed over their heart and mind will be lifted and they will hear the gospel and there will be faith in their heart and they'll turn and believe. He says, God is not willing that any should perish in 2 Peter but that all should come to repentance. So why aren't all coming to repentance? Because we have a partnership role with God to play in order to see people's lives changed, in order to see people saved. There have been great revivals throughout history where thousands of people have prayed. There was a man, uh, I was reading about him this morning, Daniel Nash. Back in the late 1700s, early 1800s, there was a, there was a, a preacher named Charles Feeney, and he would go to different places. And in one, just in one place, in, in Rochester, New York, he went in and they, they made the statement that, that there were places sometimes when he would go into Rochester, New York, that he would just stand up and he wouldn't even preach and the power of God would just come and convict people's hearts and they would begin to weep sitting there and give their life to Jesus before he even opened his mouth. And then he would preach. And, but, but here was the crazy thing about Charles Finney is, is, is that what many people didn't know in the early stages was there was a man named Daniel Nash and he would go in. He wouldn't even go to the services. If he knew Finney would be at a city, he would go to that city two to three weeks before. He would rent a hotel room or whatever they had and he would lock himself in it and he wouldn't eat and he would pray. And there were stories of like even a woman that said, hey, Mr. Finney, do you know this guy that came in two weeks ago? He's been in there. He's not eating a bite. He's in there wailing. And I think something's seriously wrong with him. And Mr. Finney said, no, he's just, he's just travailing in a spirit of prayer. He's praying. But the idea was he was going in there and battling the forces of darkness over that city so that when Finney came in and preached the gospel, the darkness was pushed back. And when he preached, people's hearts were open and they were convicted and saved. Do you realize that in Manchester, Kentucky alone, just right here in our region, there is a darkness that oppresses people and blinds their hearts and their minds from understanding and receiving the truth of the gospel. And part of the reason they remain blind it is because the people of God are not praying. I said, I, th this week I, I said, you know, I don't know. Sometimes you feel like you have these internal conversations with the Lord. I don't know if it was the Lord or not, but I was talking to the Lord about just about how much, you know, I said, I was like, God, there are people I know. They want to, they want to see transformation in Manchester. And, and, and to some degree, God, I believe that you're start, that you've done something and that you want to continue to do something. I said, I said, but what, what's it going to take? And I felt like the Lord said something like this to me. I felt like he said, do you know why revival isn't going to happen? 
He said, everybody's saying why revival is going to happen. He said, do you know why it won't happen? I said, why is that? He said, because my people aren't praying. And that's really what it comes down to, sadly. You know, and, and again, there's ebb and flow in prayer. And you gotta, you got you to gotta come back. And this is why, it, really, this message is kind of like a foundational prayer message that you got to come back regularly and sort of stoke the fires in people's hearts. Because you can do this. You can start out at the beginning of the year with prayer and fasting and people will be on it for about a week and then they fall off. You can say, we're going to have Wednesday night prayer meetings. You start having Wednesday night prayer meeting. 25 people will show up to the first one. And then before long, you got two. Because there's an ebb and flow. What Man, we need God. We need to pray that God would so convict our hearts to learn how to persist in prayer and understand that it is a weapon that he has given us, that we will pray without ceasing, that we won't ebb and flow, but prayer will be our foundational principle. Listen, as a Christian, prayer is found. It's elementary. It's kindergarten level stuff that we continue as Christians in prayer because we believe we, we actually function on the assumption that nothing of kingdom value actually happens without prayer. We can have all kinds of programs. We can invite people all over the place. But without prayer, we actually believe that nothing of kingdom value is actually going to happen unless we pray. Amen. Y'all still good with me this morning? I want you to feel good. I want you to be comfortable and happy. James 5.16, we, we read it a minute ago, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. James is doing a play on words here. If you look at that James 5.16, if you go down to another version of it there, I've got, I think it's down further. But basically what he's doing, he's saying the effective fervent prayer. He uses this word, this Greek word that we use for energy. And he's doing a play on words there. And basically he is saying, he's saying that, it, let me say it like this. It could be translated this way. Energized prayer energizes much. Or kingdom energized prayer energizes the world with the kingdom. So the spirit of God comes and lives in you and you have this energized, fervent prayer where you're calling out to God and you are literally pulling on the heavens, so to speak, and it is energizing the world with the kingdom of God. He's saying your prayers are pulling on the heavens and impacting and releasing kingdom energy into the world. We live in a world that the Bible says is under the sway of the wicked one. The whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And in our, in our, in our area, in our lives, when we begin to pray, we push that sway back just a little bit more. And we push that sway back just a little bit more until people's hearts and their minds are becoming more open because we're praying and we're pushing back against the forces of darkness in our world. And God could have set it up any way that he wanted, but because a relationship with him is at the very center of all creation, and relationships, you know what they're all about? They're all about communication. So by his own sovereign design, it makes sense for God that talking with God in communication affects absolutely everything. Your prayers, the choices you make on a daily basis, have an effect. They call it, you know, you guys heard of the butterfly effect? I think Ashton Kutcher started some kind of crazy movie back in the day. That's what just came to my mind right then. That couldn't have been the Holy Spirit. <laughs> but, the butterfly, but the butterfly effect is this, this principle, this idea that, for example, if a butterfly flaps its wings in Kentucky, it affects what's going on in China. You say, well, that's ridiculous. The point being is that everything has an impact on everything else in the world. Particles in the world, scientifically, any movement in the world has an impact on the things around it. And prayer itself, it's hard to be understood because you're talking about spiritual things. But prayer releases spiritual energy. It, it alerts angels. It pushes back and binds demons. And in the unseen realm... Prayer is releasing an unseen energy that we don't fully understand that is, that is bringing about God's will, bringing about power, changing things, pushing things back, and things are impacting everything. One small little prayer changes everything. So God has, has, has sort of, in a way, he, he's bound himself to this way that he actually needs his people to intercede and pray or else things are not going to get accomplished the way that he wants them to get accomplished. Now, ultimately, you've got to understand that he, he's, God has all wisdom. And he has all power. But that doesn't mean that he controls everything that happens. 
He's left freedom. Ultimately, he is going to, in the end, work all things together for the purpose of his will. And Christ is going to return and establish his order and structure over everything. So there is nothing that happens that God ultimately cannot weave into his perfect will. And there is nothing that happens that God cannot and will not redeem. But that does not mean that he controls every aspect of what is going on and he will not control you. Instead, he invites you into a relationship where you get to partner with him. And to the degree that you choose to give your life to him and partner with him is the degree that you're going to see him move in your life and use you to transform the world around you. Here's what I get my message title from. Ian Bounds makes this statement. He said, God shapes the world through prayer. In other words, the world you see right now is really... What has happened through prayer? The more prayer there is in the world, the better the world will be and the mightier the forces against evil. You believe that? I can take you to multiple places in, in the scripture, if you, believe, if you believe the Bible, that there are men, who are men and women who are praying, and when they pray, it releases angels dispatched on their behalf to bring about God's will in the earth. Mightier are the forces against evil whenever... The people of God choose to pray. There's something that happens when we finally begin to choose to pray. In Luke 11, you know, Jesus gave us a style of prayer. He said, look, I want you to pray like this. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, he's saying, God, Father, he said, first of all, when I come into prayer, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to honor you. And I'm going to set your name apart when I pray. I'm going to set your name apart because your name is above every other name. And God's names are revealed in the Old Testament. Like, for example, Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. Jehovah Sikkanu, the Lord, our righteousness. Jehovah Shalom, the Lord, our peace. You have all of these names, but all of those names are completely fulfilled in Jesus Christ because his name is the name that is above every other name. And in Jesus, there is righteousness. And in Jesus, there is healing. And he's saying, when you come into prayer, you need to set your opinions and your political ideologies and everything else to the side and hollow and sanctify the name of the Lord in your prayer. And you're coming in Jesus' name. You're not coming in your own name, but you're coming because you're praying His will. And the very next thing that Jesus teaches you to pray is, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And when Jesus came, what was He doing? If you look at His life, they would say, Lord, how will we know when the kingdom of heaven shows up? How will we know that? And He says, you're not, it's not going to be with observation. Nobody's going to be able to say, look over there, there's the kingdom of heaven. He said, the kingdom of God is in your midst. He's saying, if you look right now, I am the kingdom of God. The sick are healed. The, de the demonized are delivered. The kingdom of heaven is being released through me, a human being who's in right relationship with the Father, who wakes up early in the morning to pray, who separates himself and goes into a mountainside every now and then just to distance himself from people and comes off the mountain. And sometimes when he would come off the mountain after he would pray, people would just come up and touch the hem of his garment and they'd be healed. Why? Because he was praying and he had tapped into heaven and he had become that reservoir. And he said, well, that was for Jesus. Well, Peter, the apostle who actually denied Jesus three times, scripture says that he went into a city and he was just walking by and his shadow that was cast upon people, they were healed just walking under the shadow. Had he not tapped into what Jesus had taught him? The disciples, when they, they could ask Jesus to teach them anything, they could say, Lord, teach us how to raise the dead. Teach us how to heal the sick. But they knew that the source of his power was prayer. So they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Teach us how to pray. That was, one of the, that was the most important thing for them to come into. And you know, here's the thing. I, I believe absolutely that God is all powerful, but we've got to get it out of our minds that Everything that happens is just the Lord working like a puppet master, making things happen. He, like I said, he has given us a certain dimension, a certain say-so of what happens in the world. God is not like Zeus. He has, he, he, he's a God. He said, matter of fact, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 1, 23, 24, somewhere around there. It says that Christ crucified is the wisdom and power of God. When God flexes his muscle... It looks like Jesus dying on the cross. And to the world, when they saw that, they said, that's the goofiest thing ever. How is that power? Men, human beings, killed God. How is that power? See, the kingdom turns everything on its head. It looked like the most weakest moment in the history of time. And to say that that was God hanging there that men just killed, well, it was just blasphemy in a sense. If you look at God as being an all-powerful, mighty Zeus who controls and dictates everything and we just become his robots. But God is love and he has designed the world for relationship 
And his power is flexed when his people decide through a free will choice to say, God, I want to serve you. I want to live for you. And he says, good, because I've sent Jesus to restore authority. What happened is, is I put you on the earth. I gave you authority. I gave you dominion. Sin came in. And when you sin, that, 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 that which was formed in creation was deformed. But now Jesus has come back and now he is reforming it. And he's putting you back into that position of authority. And that's the reason he came to restore who you are and who you were designed to be. And if you will partner with me the same way that my son Jesus Christ partnered with me, I will release the kingdom through you. And you will see change happen in your life. And it comes primarily through prayer, through this communication, through this relationship with me. Jesus even said in John 17, 22, that I have given them the glory that you have given me. Let me put it to you like this. Jesus literally, God himself, gives some of his power and say so away. He is looking for a partnership with his people. Listen, if I really believed that everything that was going to happen just happened anyway, you know what? That takes any kind of responsibility off me, doesn't it? It takes any kind of burden off me. I'm like, who needs to pray, boys? God's going to do what he's going to do. The people that he's going to save are going to get saved. Don't even worry about praying. Oh, but you need to be obedient, brother. Pray anyway, even though God's going to do what he's going to do regardless. Do you know how ridiculous the logic of that is? That God's going to save whoever he's going to save, so we don't necessarily need to pray. No, he is saying that I'm in a partnership with you. I'm in a partnership with you. And what I want to do in this world is going to come through you choosing to align yourself with me, come into agreement with me and be in a relationship with me and learn how to pray. Number four in your notes. Prayer is training for ruling and reigning with Christ. And just like I said, see, we are we are made in the image of God. We are made in the image of God in the ancient Middle Eastern culture. They use this concept of being in the image of God. They applied it to kings and statues. And so, in other words, they would they, they would uh, they would say, for example, that a king is representing God on the earth, representing God's dominion and authority on the earth. But see, Scripture actually says and teaches in Revelation 1, 6, for example, that God has made us kings and priests unto him. He's made us and restored us as kings and priests and we were made in his image. That means that on the earth when he put us here, we were his representatives to carry out his will on the earth. He's saying, I've got all power, but how I'm going to use that power is by sending somebody to represent me on the earth. And he has sent you and I to represent him on the earth. And see the, the glory of it all, and even in Revelation toward the end of it, it says that we shall rule and reign with him forever on the earth. In Matthew chapter 25, when we return and we come to God, he says, you were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many. And if we are not faithful, see, part of our faithfulness is us realizing the partnership that we have with him. And, it's, and he's basically saying, are you going to pray? You know, Jesus told a parable one time in in that parable, he, he basically was teaching about persistence in prayer. And he talked about a woman who she went to her, this, this, this judge, and this judge would not avenge her of her adversary. He said he did, she, the judge didn't fear God or fear man, but the woman just would not leave this judge alone. And so finally the judge says, all right, forget it. Lest she's going to weary me to death. She keep coming to me like this. And Jesus is teaching about prayer and saying, don't ever give up. Don't ever quit praying because this is how prayer works. And he says, finally, the judge gives in and says, all right, man, I'm just going to avenge this woman of her adversary. Let's throw that dude in jail and take care of this thing. And it says, now will God, who his own elect cry out to him day and night, will he not speedily answer them? But then he, answered, then he says this, but when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? He's saying that if you want to see faith, faith is demonstrated through a people who keep praying and don't stop. They keep praying. They keep believing. They don't stop praying because they're believing God to do something. And they know that they cannot give up on prayer because that is how God has made it for them to begin to bring about change in the, in the world. So we're, we're created to reign, to rule with God. And that's what we have to learn. We have to understand. Now, here's the last, the last point, and we'll finish up. Number five, we have the privilege and responsibility to co-labor with God. We have the privilege and responsibility to co-labor with God. Look at 1 Corinthians right here, this verse. It says, for we are God's fellow workers. One translation says we are God's, right? We are co-laborers together with God. We're God's fellow workers. And this word 
synergos, right? You have that word energy that we talked about in James, and then you got sin, S-Y-N. But synergy means that two powers come together and work together, and you have synergy. So basically what he's saying is that we have been designed, God's power is released, and we come into agreement with that power, and there is a synergy release. We co-labor together with God. There's another scripture in 2 Corinthians, if you look at this. It says, we then, as workers together with him, there's that synergy once again. God is not just manipulating everything. He is protecting your free will. That's the way he's designed it to be. Now, I need you to understand when we talk about free will, we talk about it in a certain, in a certain sense because, because really people have free will to make choices. But do you know that when people are in sin, they have, they have the free will choices to make those sinful choices. But apart from the drawing of God's spirit, right, they have no power in their life to choose God. So they're enslaved to sin even though they got free will. They don't have the free will to choose God, but what happens when we pray, I believe that there's a release of God's spirit. He begins to draw people. He begins to draw people. Jesus even said, if, my, if, if, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. There's a drawing that happens, but see, we are to partner with God, to co-labor, to work together with him. And one of the ways that this happens is prayer. We got to pray, God, what do you want to see happen in my life? What do you want to see happen in my family? What do you want to see happen in our community? Because I want to know what you're doing. Jesus said, my father is working and I work. When I see what God wants to do, it's not about what I want to do in the world. It's about what God is wanting to do. And I'm saying I'm coming into agreement with that God and I'm praying with that in this earth and in this world. And I want, I want to see that happen. So we have, we work alongside God working and we have authority alongside God's authority. And we've got to learn to cooperate with him. God is a God who puts himself in a position where he needs his people to agree with him. That's just the way that he's designed the world. If he wanted to, he could zap the world and everybody go around. There, he doesn't necessarily need anything because he's God. He's all powerful. He's omnipotent. But the way he has designed us is for partnership. And we have to understand that that is, that is we need that prayer. We need that release of power to come into it. There's a guy written, uh, wrote a book named Paul Bilheimer. He wrote this book called Destined for the Throne. I'd recommend it. But he says it's kind of like prayer works kind of like a trust fund in a bank that needs two signatures to be released. He said God wants to do all this stuff. He wants to see marriages restored. He wants to see the addicts set free, those in bondage set free. He wants to see so many people saved. He wants to see communities transformed. He says, and all of these things are available. There is a resource available. There's a heavenly resource available. And in Christ, God has already signed the check. But in order for it to be released, you have to come into agreement with it because you're His authority on the earth and you have to sign the check. You understand that? You have to see this is what God wants, but I have a responsibility to say yes to what God want, wants, to come into agreement with it and to pray it until I see his will done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus taught us, Paul said, pray without ceasing. Jesus taught parable after parable on the persistence of prayer, that we're to continue persistently in prayer. Now, can you imagine? Don't imagine what you want. I promise you right now, God wants far more done in this world than you want done. There are people broken. There are people that are in bondage. There are people that are enslaved. There are people that don't know Jesus. And a lot of times we barely even have a burden for any of them. And again, it's not a word of condemnation, but you have to come to this position regularly. I have to come to this position regularly where I say, Lord, I do need to pray. I need, I need, to, I need you to stoke something in my heart once again where I can pray, where I can seek your face, where I can believe you for greater things. And I promise you, to the person, I told, I told somebody the other day, you know, and we were talking about, I can't remember what, exactly what it was. I think we were talking about somebody, somebody that wanted to get rebaptized because they felt like, well, if I get rebaptized, I'll feel better about my relationship with God. I said, you know, he, he said, do you think that's a good thing? I said, well, it's just unnecessary. Nobody needs to get rebaptized. What they need to do is seek God. If they'll draw nearer to the Lord, He'll draw near to them. There'll be an assurance. The baptism's already, you're already saved. That's taken care of. What you're talking about is you need to move into a deeper relationship with God. And in order for, sometimes in order for God to do radical things in our life, we have to pursue Him radically. 
There are scriptures that talk about seeking God and the word that's used for seeking or waiting upon the Lord is the same word, oddly enough, here in deer season, to chase down or to hunt after, the same word that you would use for deer hunting. That you're, that you're running after this animal, trying to pursue it, trying to catch it. And he's saying in the same way that, look, if he's, if he's, I'm telling you, if we, if we would chase after God the same way some of these dudes do big bucks, we would be on fire for God. Amen. If we cared as much about God's power showing up as we, as we did a 12-point buck some, we would be seeing the world change. Amen. And I'm not trying to hurt guys that love hunting. I went hunting yesterday. It was a good time. You can actually spend a lot of time in prayer while you're hunting. Amen. God bless those guys that are hunting today. I hope you're watching online in a tree stand. No. My point being is, what happens when a person's heart finally comes to the, this, this thing where, you know what, I'm not, I'm, not just, I'm not satisfied with just your basic everyday Christianity. And a lot of people in our church, I understand, well, we got kids, we got, we got ball games, we got practice, we got all of these different things. You know, Susanna Wesley, the, the mother of John Wesley, she had like, 16 or 20 kids or somewhere around there. It was a high number. And John Wesley, who, who, who prayed so many hours a day, there was somebody, I think it may have been Doug telling me the other day, that in his house that you could see his, his still where they have the place where he prayed, that it's like there was a well-worn thing where his knees would be on the floor every morning because he prayed two hours every morning before he went out. And he actually made the statement, he said, I have so much to do in a day that I cannot help but get up and pray two hours before I begin. That's not our mentality. We say we have so much to do in a day that prayer, we can't fit it in. At best, we just say, Lord, help me midday somewhere. But prayer, if we really believe that it's powerful, if we're really Christians, we really believe that it works, we really believe that it should take the priority that God says it should take in Scripture, then we have to prioritize it. It has to be a priority above everything else, above everything else in our life, or otherwise we're going to miss the mark that God has called us to and we're going to find that we're, we're not operating according to, to His will, according to His design that we have to come into agreement with that lifestyle of prayer. And you just have, you start small. You start, you say, oh, Lord, I'm going to set out. I'm going to, I'm going to put this into, into practice. I want to pray a certain amount of time a day. I just schedule an appointment with God. Get with God. Begin to pray. And write down your prayers. Pray specific things. And believe God for radical things and believe that when you pray, something is going to happen. He said, pray. He said, ask and receive that your joy may be full. You know, there's no greater joy than when you pray and God actually answers the thing and it comes through. There is a joy in your heart and it, then it begins to compound because when you see answered prayer, man, there is nothing like helping your prayer life like answered prayer. But I promise you this, it's just, it's, it's just like Donald told me, he's, a, he's my hunting teacher too, you know, he, he said, you can't kill him on the couch, Clay. You ain't going to see answered prayer unless you pray. You can't kill him on the couch. You have got to pray in order to see answered prayer. And when you see it, joy is going to go off in your heart. And God is going to say, I'm now shaping the world through you. You see that I'm shaping the world. I'm changing people's lives simply through your prayer. And that's what he wants to do. Amen. Why don't you bow your heads with me? The question is, like right, right now where you're at in your life, where do you need to pray? Where do you in, need to intercede right now? And I know, I know many of you, you are prayer warriors. And, and this word is just a word where you say amen. This just, this just reinforces what I'm already feeling in my heart because I've been praying. I've been seeking God for a miracle. And I believe for those of us who pray, you know, there's a, I love there's a, there's a passage of scripture where it talks about this man named Cornelius. He was the first Gentile, him and his family to be saved. And it says he prayed and fasted to God and gave alms, gave things away. And, and those prayers came up as a memorial before God. And God saw those prayers. And I, 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 you know what, I would just like to stack prayers up before God as a church body so that it comes up as a memorial before him. But Lord, there are things right here this morning and you know every need, but we lift those needs up to you. And God, we're just praying for breakthrough. I'm praying that you would pray, put, pour out a spirit of prayer over your people. God, because we need to pray like never before. We need to seek your face like never before. We need to make 
prayer a priority in our lives because, Lord, you've taught us that prayer shapes the world. Prayer changes the world. Things are changed through prayer. So, God, put that in our heart. Let that faith be released in our heart that when we believe that we pray for the addicts to be set free, God, that you begin to move and you begin to set them free from their addictions and from their bondage. Lord, when we pray for the blindness that Satan has placed over the hearts and minds of our region and, and, and in our city and in our county, God, that you are beginning to lift that. You're beginning to lift that veil so that they can see the glorious light of the gospel. And Lord, that they can have this sense of, of, of needing to be among the people of God. We pray that, Lord Jesus. People that are dealing with so many different things, God, we just pray for a breakthrough, for a change. And Lord, let it begin with prayer. Before God, you do what you want to do. And I believe, God, that you want to bring transformation in our nation, in our world. But God, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Give us a heart for prayer and help us to believe that. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. I want you to stand to your feet just for a minute. We're going to worship together. You know, in that scripture, um, in James, it says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. I was reading that there's a guy named Craig Keener. He lives up in Wilmore, Kentucky. He, he's a theologian and, he, and he, he's a, a scholar. He teaches at Asbury Theological Seminary. Well, he wrote these two big, massive books called Miracles. But in, 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 and he's basically given this presentation for all of the miracles that have been documented throughout the world, like, like just a ton of stuff. And he's making, it's a sad that we live in a world where you actually have to make a case that God still does miracles. But you'd be amazed at how many people who claim to be men and women of God don't actually believe that God still does anything like that, sadly. But he was, he, he was talking about this, this fact that these, these young men who had become wonderful Bible scholars, uh, they, they, they learn Greek, they learn Hebrew, and they learned this language in one of these tribes because they were so brilliant that they translated these Bibles into the, the, the language after they got out of seminary. And they took, they printed a bunch of these Bibles and they went and they gave these Bibles to all these young men. And one of the leaders, one of the tribal leaders, his wife was on her deathbed sick. And she was in there and, and this guy was reading the Bible. And he says, well, it says, it says we can call for the elders. We can anoint her with oil and the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise them up. And these guys were like, well, sure, yeah, we'll do that. Uh, we'll do that. Of course, you know, they didn't necessarily believe in it. So they go in, they put oil on the lady's head, they pray for her. The next day she's worse. They start getting really sad. They're preparing for her death, matter of fact. And finally, the next morning, the day after, they came in and this woman is on her feet and she's cooking breakfast. And the guys say, what in the world has happened here? And they said, well, we actually went in, we anointed her with oil and we prayed for her again. The guys, you know, from where we're at over here in these seminaries, they said, well, why didn't you call for us and ask us? We, we would have prayed with you. They said, well, we weren't sure whether or not you believed. And this, this is documented. We're not sure whether or not you believe. Those people believe what the Word of God said. We've been so trained over here theologically that a lot of times we just don't even believe what the Word of God says. And so those guys had enough faith to say, we can't have that kind of unbelief in the room. These guys are smart. We appreciate the Bible. But at the end of the day, they don't believe the very Bible they brought us. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be that kind of a, a Western Christian where I just, at the end of the day, I just don't believe God for stuff. I don't want to be that. And I know sometimes we've had experiences where we've not seen it, but can't we, can we not grow as a church to begin to believe and see God do 